I won't make any bones about it. My role is subjective um, because, you know, I'm not measured on ACV. I'm not measured on the number of gigs I do or um, the number of people I speak to. I'm not measured on any of that. You're listening to the show for people who empower other people to do their best work. I'm Jay Akunzo, and this is Org Uncharted. Hey there, hello, and hi. Welcome to the show that believes, I think, what you believe. We believe in putting the customer first, in making decisions from the bottom up because top-down leadership is dead, and in building and empowering world-class teams. This is the official podcast from Tetra, which makes knowledge management and sharing software to help you do just that, to help you and your team grow and empower each other and make better decisions in less time. You can visit our show website at orguncharted.com. Here's the deal. People are so much more than nodes on an org chart. They are. We need to stop treating people like they're just little cogs in a machine that we're building. So let's venture beyond the org chart and explore today's theme. Leadership doesn't mean management. When we think about leaders in the business world, we tend to think about managers. Now, maybe you picture somebody on a stage or writing books or other public personas, but I think for the most part, the classic image of leadership in the workplace is the corner office the person with direct reports, the the one with the fancier title, the boss. When we think about career trajectories too, we also think about the need to impress this person, to convince them to sign off on our promotion. They are the node at the top of the org chart. And I'm sure you know the steps in general that you have to take to get up to that node. For example, you might start out as a junior level or entry level contributor. Then you're a middle or senior level contributor. Then middle management a director, a VP, and finally, you're part of the C-suite, and how sweet it can be to be a leader. But this is a stale way to talk about leadership. It's old, it's outdated. We have to change it, update it, because leaders can come from anywhere in the org chart, anywhere in the organization. And we're doing ourselves a huge disservice as individuals and as teams if we assume that leaders are only those circles up top. Luckily, today, there are some really forward-thinking organizations who are hiring roles that don't sit so neatly inside a chart. We have to realize that my job is kind of made up. That is Matthew Sweezy, and he is a high-level individual contributor at Salesforce. Now, just think about your own career arc that unfolds over time. Inevitably, we think to ourselves that we'll move into management someday, or maybe you've made that move already. That's the traditional path, and perhaps the only path given to many of us. But this means that we'd change the path entirely when you really think about it. It's not one continual path. I know this has been discussed before, but it's worth repeating. Becoming a manager often means moving away from the path that got you there, from the job and the work that you were great at that led to that promotion in the first place. And that seems like more than a little bit insane to build a thriving team. Luckily, today, there are companies like Salesforce that are rethinking that path and trying to solve this issue. In doing so, they've created a new crop of leaders, of senior-level people who don't actually oversee anybody else's careers in that classic managerial sense. Instead, they are high-level individual contributors— 
Maybe you actually know these people within your own organization, or you've seen them at events or on social media, and you might wonder, what does that person actually do? Oftentimes, these individual contributor roles can feel a little bit nebulous. For example, Matt's title at Salesforce is Principal of Marketing Insights, not something that typically fits into the hierarchy that you picture if you know anything about marketing teams. But basically, Matthew was hired to be a thought leader, a public educator. But what the hell does Matt really do? So what I really do is a combination of three things, uh, research, writing, and speaking. Um, and that's really kind of what I do. It's primarily, it's all focused around the topic of the future of marketing. So that's kind of my directive is to figure out what does the future of marketing mean uh, and then disseminate that back down through research, writing, and speaking. I want to paint a picture in the, the minds of listeners to give them clarity about your job. So if your job was a, a pie chart split into different activities, what would be the bigger slices and what are some of the smaller slices in terms of where you spend your time? I'd say they're all equal in terms of research, writing, and speaking. They all drive each other, right? So the research drives the writing, the writing drives the speaking, the speaking drives more speaking and more research and more gigs. And what's the benefit to Salesforce of this? Yeah, so that's a great question. So there's really three major benefits to Salesforce for a position such as mine. Benefit number one comes into speaking. And you have to think about speaking in two ways. Speaking in way number one is all the events that we sponsor, right? So any type of event sponsorship, whether that be you want to have a sales dinner and get CEOs to come, you want to break into major accounts, um, you are sponsoring the event. All of those are extremely costly events. Uh, and to get people to those events, you have to have a pretty high level speaker, right? So someone in my position can go talk to uh, the VP or CMO of AT&T, where your sales rep's not going to get that kind of an entrance. The second is then we get invited to events that you normally are not going to get invited to. So I get personally invited to events all over the country and all over the world. Um, so a good example, um, next month, I'm speaking at the largest keynoting, the largest marketing conference in Turkey, um, but also speak at, you know, all of the AMA events around the United States, get personally invited to those um, content marketing world. And all of these are events where now Salesforce is on stage in front of our core demographic at no cost. I want to go back to when you first started doing the role. Um, when you were first starting to craft a job function that, that has no decades long precedent, I think it can be really exciting, but there's, there's also probably a lot of uncertainty that you have to navigate. So I'm curious about what were some of the bigger things in your mind that were totally uncertain early on? Uh, the, the, the feasibility of this being a long-term job. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you're not producing leads and, and a business just looks at everything valued based on leads and you are, you know, more subjective, it really it becomes, a, it can become a subjective role pretty quickly. And, and I won't make any bones about it. My role is subjective um, because, you know, I'm not measured on ACV. I'm not measured on the amount of leads I generate. I'm not measured on the number of gigs I do or um, the number of people I speak to. I'm not measured on any of that. So it, by definition, then it is subjective. But at the same time, you know, I, I am able to bring value and that value is very tangible to people. So you have to have other people vouch for you. And, and let me kind of got away from your question, but maybe this can kind of help out. When you're starting off creating a role like this, you have to be very clear on how it's going to be utilized internally in the organization and how it's going to be valued. Because without that and without that value at the highest levels of the organization, it's not going to work. 
um, I had buy-in from the CEO directly. So without buy-in from the CEO directly, if I'm a line item on marketing and they look to cut budget and they're like, oh, we just have this guy that flies around, there's a huge travel budget and all he does is speak and has no direct effect to leads, cut it. But if there's value from the organization that they see that as a part of their mission and as a part of their purpose by helping their customers be better at their jobs, and this person's sole focus is doing that based on research and then spreading that message out all over those places, then that aligns with those two goals. So if it doesn't align at the highest levels, if it's not bought into at the highest levels, I don't think it's going to sustain. We are in uncharted territory now, so let's go deeper still and see if we can take with us a few buried treasures, a few gems back to our work to help us execute better when it comes to being leaders, regardless of whether we're actually managers. So we've been talking so far about your role within the business. So you're kind of existing and what, what are you doing there? And I want to flip it now and look at, look at this from the perspective of a manager. So if you're a manager trying to hire a role like yours, and that doesn't mean a marketing evangelist or a thought leader or a speaker. It could just mean, you know, I'm the head of engineering, I'm the CTO, and I'm hiring a developer relations person, which I, which I know are getting more common, but, but they're still pretty rare. But basically, I'm hiring somebody who historically hasn't really existed here, and they're a high-level individual contributor. Are there any, like, mentality shifts that I need as a leader or a team manager? You know, how can I make sure that I bring on the right person and make sure this person can thrive and also communicate the hire to the team. Yeah, so I'm even going to push back and say, why do we believe it should be a single individual, right? So I think one of the things that we should realize is uh, there's so many bright, passionate individuals inside your organization that are doing these things already. Uh, I have a good colleague I work with uh, who talks about UX. Um, UX is extremely impactful to all of our customers, um, he's on the UX team, but he still travels and speaks. Now, we need to have a budget for that individual to travel and speak and do those things just as, we much, just as much as we do need to have an individual. So if you're saying as a corporate, you know, a head of a corporation or a leader, you know, what type of a budget do I need to set aside for an individual? Maybe you already have those individuals inside your organization and just need to find out ways to allow them to go do what they want to do. Because here's the nuts and bolts of it. A lot of times conferences will pay for their travel and hotel. All you got to do is just allow it to be a part of their job and, and see the value in that. So it's essentially, it could be free. Um, but then what that also states is that you then have to allow some of those people that are really passionate to dedicate some of their time to doing research and doing other projects, which is not a new concept. I mean, Google always has followed the, the 10% rule, right? Right, 10% of an employee's time is supposed to be spent on something other than the direct project at hand. So why not just let that be thought leadership? So I, I worked for Google, and I can tell you firsthand that a lot of times there were managers, especially on the maybe sales and marketing side, um, both at Google and other companies I worked for, that would notice these skills starting to emerge in people and not know how to cultivate them, right? They would like, I don't know, have them lead projects, which is a good start. How would you tease out, first of all, how would you notice that somebody that you work with has the skills that you have? And second, how would you actually tease them out such that you know they stay and help the company versus they get so famous and so popular that they actually leave? Yeah, so... I think the second is an unrealistic fear. Um, so the first is, how do you identify them? And, and I'm just going to go back to that point. The person has to have an innate, deep 
deep, deep love for the topic. It, it can't be anything other than fueled by deep love. If not, it won't last. But where does that come through? You know, how do you tell that somebody internally working in Salesforce's marketing team has a deeper, kind of more thoughtful love of the topic relative to their peers? Yeah, it's going to be really easy to identify. I'm going to give you a couple of ways to identify it. One is, is listen to what they mention and who they cite. If someone cites anybody, so when I say cites, I mean if somebody is, is giving a discussion of why they think they should do this and they are able to cite work. That is not from, and, and I'm going to throw air quotes on the word thought leader, um, because as we know, there's different levels of it. But if they are citing real research um, and they're actually engaging in these conversations on their own, that's probably a really big sign that this person has an innate love for it because they're already doing a lot of this stuff. Um, if they don't, and here's a really good question. When, when we would do interviews, my favorite question to ask somebody is, um, tell me something that you wanted to be great at. And they would tell me X, Y, Z. It could be baseball. It could be whatever. And, and I'd say, all right, now tell me the things that you did to become great at that. And based on what they tell you, you can figure out really quickly, one, if they really want to be great at something. And then two, to the level of that, they'll probably be great. When I was interviewing people for marketing jobs, I'd say, great, tell me the last three books you read about marketing. And based on those three books, I could really easily tell if they're intelligent and really care deeply about this topic, or we're just kind of reading the flavor of the month and never going past, you know, that. Right. And, you know, that manifests in many ways, the interest in reading and, uh, and exploring a topic. My favorite way to identify it has been side projects that people launch. You know, it's so easy today to get your, get your name out, right? And if you don't have that intrinsic motor to pursue, explore, research, and create around a given topic maybe it's actually just something you're doing as a posture to convey that, hey, I'm smart, you should take me seriously. But if I see someone launch a side project, man, they're doing that in their own time. That's worth cultivating. Yeah, great. And I totally 110% agree on that's another great identifier. I had a friend of mine reach out to me the other day. Um, and they're like, hey, man, I, I want to start looking at another job or I want to advance in my career. What should I do? And I was like, dude, like all those little stupid videos that you make in this, he's made some of the funniest videos I've ever seen. And I was like, that's what you should be showing people. I was like, show that stuff to people because that like just shows your creativity and your passion and your love for all this stuff. Um, and he totally has the ability to do you know, the thought leadership stuff just from looking at those things. Now let's take the second question you asked earlier, which is how do we ensure that they're not just going to become famous and go off and do all this on their own? Which is, in my true, honest opinion, a completely unrealistic expectation. You may disagree. No, no, I totally agree. But I know people think it. Well, here's, the, here's the, the bottom line sense of it. If someone wants to be a thought leader, they will engage with lots of other people. And a majority of thought leaders out there are consultants. I think we need to first understand that. The reason so many thought leaders are consultants is why? Well, because they have to then fill their own pipeline. And this is the marketing that they do for themselves. But once you spend any time with a consultant, you realize how much they hate their jobs because so much of that time is spent trying to drum up business rather than simply just doing the research that they really want to do, right? So if they're in a position where they are comfortable, very happy, I should say, able to do what they want to do and compensated well, why would they leave that to go work twice as hard, maybe get paid the same and do less of what they love? So I, I just think that that's kind of an unrealistic thing uh, that you know, most businesses shouldn't have that fear. And, and if that is the case, you just have the ability to create great people. So good for you. I, lo I love that take because I think it speaks to two benefits, really. One benefit is you put up a wall of fame of people who have gone on to do amazing things, which is what 
every individual wants in their career. You know, gone are the days where we would stay for 25 years in one business in most cases. Instead, every stop along a career path, people want it to be like an injection of steroids into the arm of their career. You know, so if you can say, well, guess who came through here? This person, this person, this person. And we celebrate that. I mean, that you're going to be able to get better talent. And then the second point that kind of underscores what you were saying is you start to reap the rewards of not only that one person starting to pick their head up and starting to get out there and evangelize and contribute to thought leadership, but the others at the organization that are inspired to do the same thing. So you get this like potentially, you know, you get this like nice cycle. Yeah, you've gotten that wheel rolling and and you'll produce others. Exactly. So I want to end here. If I'm somebody listening to this and I'm like, you know what, that's actually me, whether I'm a leader in terms of my title or I'm a leader in terms of my mentality. And I'm like, everything that Matthew's doing, I aspire to do as well in whatever domain. But I feel like my role is this traditional node on an org chart. What are some steps that you'd recommend that person take to start to contribute at a more strategic or kind of, you know, again, air quotes, thought leadership level? Uh, First, I'd say don't wait on your organization to make any changes. Nothing's stopping you from right now to going and pitching yourself at conferences, creating speeches, creating slide decks, uh, and building that momentum. Because even if your company today says, cool, go forth and be this, you still have a long road ahead of you before you're going to be getting speaking gigs. And that long road ahead of you is, one, crafting a good speech, um, having the, the wherewithal so when you do apply that people you know, can go search you out and see speeches that you've given, um, read things that you've written, and believe that you're going to be a good speaker for them to bring on to their event. So go ahead and do all that stuff now. Like, you know, go get your website for yourself. Start coming up with a speech. Make a slide deck. Make a presentation. Start writing for different publications and and start getting those things out there. Then go start applying to conferences that you want to speak at. Then once you have an acceptance to a conference, then go back to your business and say, hey, I've gotten the ability to go speak at XYZ conference. They're paying for my travel. They're doing all this. Can I have the day off? And if they say no, say, screw it. I'll take a personal day. And then keep doing it. And if they still don't want to do it, go find another job. That is advice, honestly, that not enough people say, quite frankly. Oh, I say all the time. I love it. <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a weird position, right? If you're wanting to do this type of a role, one, it's going to require a lot of work. I can't tell you about how much I read and, and how deep of conversations I get in with people about this stuff. You have to love it at the deepest, deepest levels and be extremely passionate about your topic. And, and the other thing is, is you're not a person on an island. You're not a man or a woman with the only ideas, right? You need to realize that there are lots of different people out there with lots of different ideas. You got to go listen to them all and then figure out where your ideas converge, where they differ, um, why they differ. If they do differ, figure out why that person has that idea, research their idea, research your theory, and then come up and and then be able to make a case of which one is better or, or correct, or are they both correct based on like real research and then you'll start to build relationships with those people, and then they start snowballing. And then you end up like doing work together and then collaborating. And then, you know, then you get to start doing research projects that don't cost any money. Good example. I'm just about to finish up a research project with The Economist where Salesforce is doing a project with The Economist, no money exchanged hands um, because the two companies had a central idea that they wanted to research together. Another example, the beginning of the year, we launched a chatbot research project with Drift, uh, Salesforce, MyClever, and SurveyMonkey. Once again, no money changed hands for any of that thought leadership to take place because all of the companies worked together to produce it. Um, so, I mean, there's just a lot of really good love that will come of 
um, then building those relationships. But just don't think you're a person on that island. Final question, because this is a show about ultimately empowering every employee at a, on a team or every person on a team, I should say. I, I don't think you can do that as a leader without having experienced it yourself, without having been empowered by somebody else in your career to do great work. So I'd ask you, is there anybody else that you can point to in your career that empowered you to do great work? And, you know, we so often get uh, caught up in the day to day that maybe we don't thank those people enough. So what would you say to that person? First, how do they empower you? And second, how would you thank them? I'm so thankful you give me this opportunity to, to thank one of my favorite people of Jeff Roars and say, Jeff, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. Love you so much. You've taught me so much. Uh, and, and I just wouldn't be here without you. What kinds of things did Jeff do to, to get you to that level of emotional tie? Uh, all kinds of stuff. From um, First off, he's a phenomenal speaker. The way he thinks about things, um, the, the way he speaks about things. Let me give you some very clear examples. So he, he told me to be irreverent to a level of degree, right? He's like, it's okay to be irreverent, and that is a good thing in speeches. Uh, it helps pe- keep people engaged. Use lots of slides. Don't just have three slides and don't just have a word on a screen. You know, use a different slide for every word to keep people engaged and moving. Um, you, you know, these are a lot of counterintuitive advice to what a lot of people may tell you. You know, if you look at a PMM's deck, it's 10 slides and they want you to talk to that for an hour. That's not going to fly for an audience. Um, so, you know, think about the audience. Um, be very passionate about what you do. Um, he just gave me the confidence. You know, he would say, Hey man, that was great. And this is a guy that I'd been following for a long time before I started working with him. So I knew who he was. Um, so just kind of just, just all of that. And then just how amazing of a person he is. If you don't know him or you ever meet him, you'll understand what I mean. Um, but just the confidence and an inspiration that he passed on to not just me, but all of the team members, um, really kind of drove us to be better But he also led from example because he was such a good speaker. We were happy to listen to him and do what he told us. Big thanks to Matthew Sweezy from Salesforce. I I loved this episode. I don't know about you. He is one hell of a leader, but definitely not a manager. This show is the official podcast from Tetra, which helps your team make better decisions in less time. Their product is a knowledge management tool for leaders who want to build and empower world-class teams. So check them out at tetra.co. That's tetra with two T's, .co. Or you can visit our show website with lots more content like this at orguncharted.com. All of that is in the show notes. This podcast is a production of Unthinkable Media, makers of refreshingly entertaining shows about work. It's hosted by me, Jay Akunzo, and produced by Annie Sinzabop. If you like this show, please drop us a rating and review wherever you listen. Whatever app you're using, it really does help us. We work our butts off to make this show, and ratings really help us find others to serve. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in two weeks on another episode of Org Uncharted. See ya. See ya.